Welcome to the Bare Naked ABCs, where we argue about the Bare Naked Ladies songs, meanings, and likability. So far, we have been pretty civil with our disagreements, but like most relationships, at some point we will probably fight. You know, say hurtful things and then <laughs> not know how to repair it. Uh, but that's not where we are yet. We're only on the B, so it's earlier in our podcasting relationship. And today, we're talking about Blame It On Me from Gordon 1992. Well, here we are again, and we're looking at each other as if each other were to blame. You think you're so smart, but I've seen you naked. I'll probably see you naked again. Blame It On Me first appears, actually, on Bare Naked Lunch. By the way, there's only 2,000 copies of that out there, so good luck getting one. It is the only new song that they added for Bare Naked Lunch. It's also on the yellow tape, Variety Recordings, which were only released to radio stations, so once again, very rare and hard to get a hold of. We'll come back to the versions in a few minutes. Uh, this is a Paige Robertson song, as most of the songs are credited on the first album. That is the song we'll be discussing tonight with a guest that we have tonight. Oh, I should probably announce we have no Aaron tonight. He'll be joining us via recording, uh, but we do have Michelle with us. Hello. And we have a guest. We have tonight Andy Herman from the LA Weekly. He is the musical music editor. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, his work has appeared on Metro Mix, where he was a national musical editor, on XLR8R, BPM, The Daily Dot, and Boston Phoenix. Uh, it says on his description that you like music, wine, cats, Phil Collins, so you already have my heart. Two hearts beating with one. <laughs> <laughs> that's um you're you're reading an old uh an old bio there i guess that's probably off the uh, la weekly website um it is yeah <laughs> that was from the la weekly make it sound like it maybe it was old so maybe i have old information what where are you working currently so currently uh i am i am freelance uh i left the la weekly at the end of last year uh so uh i'm writing now for my my freelance credits have gotten a little more impressive so i i get i can oh. humble brag that um I do now it right there you go i now write for uh <laughs> billboard uh vice uh npr music oh nice uh, down wow. down now you have now you have my heart <laughs> uh, thank you yes so um yeah so you know i've been back in the wonderful world of freelancing which is a lot of fun um and then but as far as bare naked ladies goes i mean do you want me to sort of go back to the beginning and kind of how i discovered the band and that would be great. Yeah. Yes, tell us everything. So, um, <laughs> real quick, let me throw in the reason that we invited Andy on. I was searching the internet, reading all these wonderful articles about the beloved band that I that I enjoy, and you had written this article back in February in 2013 called "Bare Naked Ladies Were One of the Coolest, Cleverest Bands of the '90s." I read that article and just 
absolutely fell in love with the article and then started reading a lot of the other stuff that you had written as well for the LA Weekly at that time um, without researching a lot of the stuff for the Boston Phoenix and, and some of your later stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that, that article was part of a, uh, a series that the LA Weekly did with a bunch of different writers um, called uh, F Guilty Pleasures. I won't, uh, <laughs> I won't drop the F-bomb to your listeners. But uh, basically the premise of it was to sort of take bands that uh, traditionally the music cognoscenti um, kind of bag on and uh, explain why they're actually awesome. And uh, Barony Good Ladies definitely have long fallen into that category for me. Mm-hmm. So I just had a little fun uh, kind of explaining why I think they're a great band, even though a lot of my fellow music journalists who tend to be a little snobbier than me sometimes uh, might disagree. I loved that article. It was I just resonated with it so much because it's oh, that's so... Awesome. It's so 100% true because I'm a lady, I'm a lady of a certain age and I, you know, love them from way back. And it's just, they're so, Ooh, they're so, that would be the cat. Yeah. I have, I have another bare naked ladies fan in the room with me. There that's, we go. Uh, that's Perfect. Gabby's cat. We love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but crying, I just, I'll, I'll let her out of the room, but right now she's going to hang out with me and provide uh, like background vocals if that's okay. We'll, oh, that's fine. I love it. I think we go with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you come to Bare Naked Ladies. But yeah, so how I discovered Bare Naked Ladies long before I had any ambitions of, of getting paid to write about music. Um, I was living in Western Massachusetts, going to grad school out there, and uh, there was a great alternative radio station in Greenfield, Massachusetts, uh, called uh, WRSI The River. And I think, if memory serves me correctly, the first song I heard um, on that station was Box Set. Wow. And, uh, and, it, and it blew me away. I just, I had never heard anything like it before. Um, just the sort of, the combination of the smart alecky humor with the sort of, like, samba bossa nova thing going <sighs> on. And, and um, you know, I was like, who is this band? And I, I went out and bought Gordon on cassette, I believe having only just heard that one track and, uh, and just fell in love with the band from there. Um, so that was my, that was my introduction. <laughs> That's awesome. What a great introduction too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think I remember, I mean, this was sort of, you know, pre-internet. So, you know, getting information about bands back then was, was scarce. Um, but I remember I somehow somewhere along the way found out that even though at that time they were still a pretty obscure band in America, like if I had a million dollars, hadn't really taken off here yet. And most people still had no idea who they were, but they were already a huge band in Canada, which I found out somewhere along the way. Um, I think I was probably trying to find tour dates and trying to figure out why they never seemed to play the States. And I found out, oh, it's because nobody here has heard of them and they're huge in Canada. So they're touring up there all the time. Um, I finally got to see them about in, I think the first time I saw them live was in 94 on the Maybe You Should Drive Uh, tour. uh I saw them at the Fox Theater in Boulder. Um, And that was still when, uh, you know, people would, you know, throw Kraft macaroni (laughs) at the stage. And uh, it was it was pretty fantastic to, to get a chance to catch them back in that phase of the band. Oh, that's what a great story. Like you've been with them for you you've known them for a very long time. 
Yeah, you know, like I said, they were already huge in Canada, apparently. Right. But I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm probably among the early adopters as far as their American fan base goes. Oh well, yeah, I mean, the the yellow tape and and all their previous tapes never made it down to America until until the Amazon and eBay age. So right, you know, we we don't get lucky to get a lot of that stuff down here. So Gordon was really our first flavor of them. Yeah, in fact, um, honestly, you know, you sent me um, some of those early demo versions of Blame It On Me, and, and I have to confess, I had never heard them before. I, I was really totally unfamiliar with all of their pre-Gordon work. I've sort of vaguely heard of it, but I, hadn't, I don't think I'd ever actually listened to it before, so that was pretty... Thank you for sending that. That was cool <laughs> to sort of hear some of the early incarnations of this track and, and some of their other early stuff. Yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit about this song and about about the different varieties of it. So like I had said before, there was four previous versions uh, of this song. Although I have to admit, like they all kind of sound very similar, except for the yellow tape version. The the variety recordings and the, the bare naked lunch version sound very similar to each other. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe they are the same version. Maybe they sent they just kept the same recording and sent it out. Oh. Um, yeah. I love so. the yellow tape. Version. You know what? Hold on a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna free the cat. <laughs> Hold on. I loved the yellow tape version. And that was my favorite version out of all of them. Even even compared to the Gordon one. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I know. Usually I stick to the album, but uh Something about the yellow tape just spoke to me. I have some other things to say about the song, but I don't have to get into that yet if you guys want to. Okay. We'll, we'll save that yeah. for later. Yeah. What, were, what yeah. was your take on the other versions? I mean, you've heard this song obviously before, so the new versions, Andy. I mean, you know, obviously the, the Bare Naked Lunch version is, is the most drastically different because it's it's um i mean it's it's just steven and ed right at that um, stage nope they by that point they had all the components of uh, for gordon so everyone had joined the band by that point oh okay because i thought wasn't there there's there's one version of uh, no i think it is bare naked lunch where that's right the cregan brothers had joined but they just tyler stewart hadn't joined. um maybe tyler hadn't so they joined. i have to go back and double check that you yeah. might be right um, but naked I think there's, there's, there's one there's one version where the, the, the percussion is very subdued. It's it's yeah. you know it's a little more just like a straight like very acoustic guitar led track, and you can sort of hear it kind of <laughs> evolve over the course of the demo tapes to have have a little more forward drum sound. I guess. Yeah. Um, well, and there's Buck Naked too, but this this song wasn't on Buck Naked, which was just Stephen and Ed. Yeah. Um, I, I might. I might honestly like I have you know I, I I haven't had a chance to really sit with the early versions enough to have formed an opinion on them so I might I might shut up for this segment <laughs> okay. and let you guys talk about them because it's really the, the Gordon version is the one that's stuck in my head yeah. because I've heard it so many times. Well, and so just to kind of throw it out there, like the the bare naked lunch version is faster, but it's not finished. Uh, obviously, it wasn't wasn't done in the studio. Um, and then you have the variety recordings, which is again faster and obviously not done in the studio, but it's almost got like a live feel. It wasn't done live, but it has that kind of like because it's up a little more up tempo, and the the microphones that they used were not studio microphones. It has that kind of live feel to it, and it it just felt fresh that way, and I I really kind of liked it. And then of course the yellow tape is slower. 
but again and again has that unfinished kind of feel because it wasn't done in an official studio it was just done in the pages basement Mm -hmm. i think that's what i liked about it like kind of mtv unplugged feel to it um I, i just enjoyed that quite a bit yeah, I think that's what I liked about it as well. It's and it might just be the novelty of it. Like I think if I came back to it and if it had been the first version, I might like the Gordon version better because I listened to the other one so many times and I do like the finished feel that you get with Gordon. But I do, I like the freshness of this. I probably will add it onto my iTunes mixology just to kind of be able to listen to something a little bit different every now and then. So Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm not much of a... You'd think in my occupation that I'd be the kind of person who, when I discover a new band, I would want to go out and like consume everything they've ever recorded. Uh, but I'm not that guy. I never have been. I'm not like a big demo collector. I'm not like a catalog completist. I, I sort of... I'm curious to hear the demos, but I almost always prefer the, the finished studio version to the kind of early raw takes. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> it's just not like something that I ever necessarily like seek out. Interesting. So Steven said one of the few, the few things he said, and I don't remember if it was in the authorized biography or if it was in the chronology. He says that he feels that in this song, that Ed's guitar part was actually really influenced by Kurt Swinghammer. So I'm going to try to go search it out hmm. and then like, cut a piece of of his music in right here. The leaves are relatively green. Ed's guitar. Well, that's cool. That's interesting. I don't know who that is. No, and usually, by, and Michelle's used to this, usually by now I've found it and searched it and sent it to everyone, like, here's a version, here's an example. I ran out of time this week and didn't do that. <laughs> kind of recovering from going to see BNL last week, so. <laughs> oh, how was it? It BNL was amazing. We might have to do a separate, like, podcast, like, entry on that one alone, because I'd love to talk with you and Aaron about that. It was... I've been to many of their concerts. I've been to three or four of them since they've broken up now. Well, not broken up, but since Steve's left the band. Um, This was the most energetic that I have seen them be since Grinning Streak. Hmm. Um, This was them returning back to that, just enjoying being on stage and being wide awake and live. Um, It was really kind of really neat. to, And then, of course, they had Katie Tungstall, um, opening for them with a half hour set, and then we had they had uh, better than Ezra opening before th- uh, just after that as well, um, doing a forty five minute set. So it was really cool. Um, it was a nice little place. It was them coming nice. back to a place they'd played many times in Boston. Um, so <laughs> I- I'd like to go on to that in another one, just because I no problem. <laughs> I have all my notes somewhere else for that, um, and I did interview a lot of people about their experience and what brought them to bare naked ladies and so i want to make sure i have my notes in front of me because uh, i met a lot of people that had a lot of different variety of experiences with nice. bare naked ladies and it was really cool that's awesome yeah so why don't we talk a little bit about the music right now usually aaron gives us our breakdown i don't know 
But let's talk a little bit about the music in, of the song. We'll go to lyrics in a few minutes. I'm jumping out of my skin. Andy, I wouldn't normally be so rude to a guest on the podcast, but this, this just hit me <laughs> no, like please. a ton of bricks when I was listening to this song. Blame It On Me sounds like an unfinished or the prequel to Brian Wilson. I sang, I sang the lyrics to Brian Wilson Ooh. along to, along with Blame It On Me. And I'd never really put that together before, but I'm like, what is this sounding like? Why is this? And I'm like, oh, lying in bed, just like, and I just, it's the same kind of chord structure and melody. It's very, very similar um, in key and structure. So I was like, this is really interesting. Huh. I can, I can totally hear that now that you say it, but I, I would not have picked up on that because I feel like r- rhythmically the songs are pretty different. I mean, I feel like. Yes. You know, right. This on. one definitely has more of that salsa feel, yeah. but just something in the chord progression. Um, or maybe it's just they pick the same key and that's, you know, in the same beat. But it, it just, I was like, this is Brian Wilson. So it just felt like this is the idea before Brian Wilson and they put it out there. And it's a great song in and of itself. But then when they got to Brian Wilson, then they polish it up and really hit a home run with it. So I, yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. But it's interesting. It's the exact opposite end of Gordon yes. from Brian Wilson. Oh, yeah. So. This is four in from the end, and Brian Wilson's the fourth one on the album. So it's interesting that you say that, like it kind of mirrors yes, itself. Yes, it was written, or it was released, I'm getting 92 here, I'm looking it up, but I'm trying to see, um, oh, it was written by Stephen Page in his parents' basement on his 20th birthday in 1990. Brian Wilson was, or this was? Brian Wilson was. Oh, okay. So this one would have been first then. Yeah, but then Brian Wilson may have taken, and that's that made sense to me. Like this was sort of the pre-idea, you know, Mm -hmm. and they kind of put it out there, and it's great on its own. But then it tightened up and polished up and turned into Brian Wilson, which I thought was interesting. I'd like to hear what Aaron thinks of this. Yeah, well, and what his breakdown is of the music, like what's the the rhythm of this song and and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, I would be curious to hear that too. I'm sorry he's not here. It's usually when we throw it over to him. What were your takes on the music, Andy? On just the musical piece of it? You know, I, I think, you know, part of um, part of what appealed to me, you know, I mentioned that the first song that I, I ever heard from Bare Naked Ladies was Box Set. And um, I feel like this is another song on Gordon that has um, almost like a little bit of a Latin feel in the, in the yes. rhythm and the arrangement. Um, there's a marimba on there and I didn't know this, honestly, I was, had to, was looking it up on Wikipedia, but uh, uh, Andy, Andy Cregan, um, apparently also plays an imbira on it, which is one of those African wow. thumb pianos. Oh, cool. Which totally makes sense. I mean, I, I would never have been able to place what some of the sounds on the track are, but if you know that that's in there in the mix, you can pick it out. I think there's some conventional piano on it, too, but there's, you know, some other sort of interesting instrumentation going on on there. I mean, one of the things that I think I really liked about Gordon in general when I first heard it was how much of the instrumentation was acoustic. Um, Yes. You know, and and not in an immediate, obvious way. I mean, you would never describe it as a folk album, Um, but, but there's actually very little electric or electronic instrumentation on the entire record, which I think is really cool and kind of is part of what gives it such a unique feel. You know, at the time, it didn't sound like anything else 
on the radio that I had ever heard. And, I, and to this day, I think it still it kind of sounds unique in the Bare Naked Ladies catalog because they, they started using more electric guitars and electric keyboards, you know, almost immediately after this record. Well, I think one of the things that really... I, I'm I'm a big proponent of him anyways, but I think that this song is one of the many songs that I kind of come back to when I'm I want to point out this fact that Jim is such an amazing bass player. Yeah, and him playing the double bass on this song, like you can hear it throughout, and he really does. He and Tyler really set the the rhythm and the feel for this entire song. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the other sort of you know the the Brian Wilson connection is is really interesting and I, I think the other kind of for me the other kind of like sibling song on gordon to this is uh wrap your arms around me mm. um which i think also has kind of there's a little bit more of like a darker somber tone and there's there's a couple of great passages where like you said it's you really you really sort of get to hear jim cregan's bass um you know kind of driving the track let's talk a little bit about the lyrics what are what do people think about about this song? To me, it, what is this it, song about? It felt like a Stephen lyric song, you know, just his whole finding himself in a weird spot in a relationship, and it made me laugh that they mentioned Millie Vanilli right off the bat. I mean, that cracked me up when they said um, Millie Vanilli told you to blame it on the rain, but if you blame it on the rain, tell me what can be gained. So if all else fails, you can blame it on me. I mean, that just put the song into social context it just you know because i remember the whole milly vanilli scandal and all that stuff and it just cracked me up like this tells me when if i was somebody that had no idea about bare naked ladies and i heard this song i'd be like okay i know what they're talking about it just made it instant connection you know what i mean yeah i mean it it i i did not know that stephen page wrote it when he was 20 years old but that totally makes sense i mean it's it's a it's a smart song as most of his songs that he does the lyrics on are but it kind of has that uh young love perspective to it as well i think you know much as michelle was talking about the the millie vanilli lyric um you know some of my favorite lyrics in the in the song are things like you know you think you're so smart but i've seen you naked and i'll probably see you naked again uh you know so you want to play mind games well that's fine go ahead la 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 i can't hear you um (laughs) You know, and it's, it's, I sort of feel like this song, you know, part of the things I also loved about Bare Naked Ladies right from the jump was, was how they could sort of mix silly and serious. Mm. And this song to me is a great example of that. Yes. And I sort of feel like Stephen Page's lyrics do a really good job of kind of walking a line of where, you know, the song itself is kind of a serious song about a relationship but it's really you know when when the silliness comes in it's sort of you know he's he's giving examples of how sometimes when you're you're young and fighting with your girlfriend or boyfriend that you you resort to these kind of silly lines of argument because you've just run out of ways to win the argument and so it's a very it's a very sort of genuine thing that i think a lot of people who've who've had you know fights with a significant other at a young age when uh, you know, they get kind of overwhelmed by the emotional turmoil of it all and are just, res- you know, just have to resort to just name calling or, you or, know. I've seen you naked. Like, yeah, <laughs> you think you you're know, smart. Like, However. Exactly. <laughs> you know, just just sort of going going the low route to sort of try to win an argument, which I think is something that, you know, most of us can relate to. There was a discussion online, discussion, heated argument, it's hard to tell. 
and I, I wanted to bring this up to see what you guys think. Is this a song about two people arguing as they've argued many times before? Or is this a song about a breakup? Is this the song where they're discussing, where he's trying to say the reasons for ending it? Oh, man. To, to me, it, I don't think it's about a breakup per se. I just, with the pre-existing notion that I have of Steven in my head already, I feel like this is just how he is in relationships, you know, and he's in it, but it's sort of, it's never just an easy thing. There's always this sort of, difficulty and there's always some kind of issue that gets churned up and he's there but it's not easy and I feel like this is sort of showing us this is the beginning of him showing us that you know as we go forward through the the Bare Naked Ladies albums yeah I don't know that it's necessarily a, a breakup song I think it's a it's a sort of couples arguing song I, I don't know that the song necessarily makes it clear by the end whether this is a couple that's actually breaking up or not, um, or if it's just about a fight. Mm. I don't know. I, the more I listened to it, I tried to listen to it from both point of views, and I have to say, you know, I listened to it one time and, and specifically put one set mindset in, and then I, I sat down, took a break from it a little bit, came back, and listened to it again from the other mindset. And so when I listened to it from the breaking up mindset, the idea that you can blame it on me kind of like came back to this idea of like, well, you can blame this whole thing, this breakup on me. Like you could tell everyone that this is my fault. You know, you, you're winning the argument and you're winning all this. Other, but when it comes down to it, like you could blame our relationship and all this, everything that went wrong on, on the rain. But when it all else fails, when it's not, cause that's not going to pass and you know it. You can blame it on me that this really just say it's my fault. Just say the relationship and all the problems are my fault. I know it's not my fault. You're going to say it's my fault, but just blame it on me. Um, and I could see where that could lead some credence. I'm not sure which side I fall on on it. Dear Stephen Page, if you'd like to come on and talk to us about <laughs> the go. song, we'd love to have you on as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> It's on our list. I'm have to go back. You realize now I'm gonna have to go back and listen to all our episodes, collect all our questions if we ever get them on the show. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of questions. I mean, this this song also kind of brings up something that I talked a little bit about in my Bare Naked Ladies Were One of the Coolest, Cleverest Bands of the Nineties article that, that you guys found of mine that is the reason you invited me on the show. Um <laughs> And that is, you know, as much as I love Ed, I, I do, I do feel like there's something missing in the band since Stephen left. Yes, um, I, you know, and and Stephen, Stephen has an ability with his lyrics to go dark in a yes. way that that Ed never really does, and that was always part of what made the band interesting to me in a way that a lot of sort of other. Bands like, you know, I, I mean, I, I like They Might Be Giants fine, but I never connected with them as much as I connected with Bare Naked Ladies. And I think a lot of that has to do with Steven's dark streak. Like, he's not afraid to write lyrics about relationships that, that go to some pretty, like, intense places and can easily be interpreted as, you know, being kind of misogynistic, although I, I don't know that that's necessarily... <laughs> And That's necessarily true, um, but you know he just he just writes in a very like honest way. He totally goes um, there, and that's yeah, what's that's not, that's what makes it interesting to me. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. He's not afraid to go there, and I mean Ed is a great songwriter mm -hmm. too. But um, 
you know, his his stuff tends to sort of go for things that are a little more silly or even surreal sometimes, mm-hmm. I think. And and he's written some very like touching and emotionally moving songs as well, but they they're emotionally moving in a different way than Stevens. Agrees one hundred percent. You know, there's the I'm blanking on the title of it now, but there's like the one song that I think is his that's like the window washer yes. song. That, yes. Um, it's on Maybe You Should Drive. It's like the yeah, it's like the third um, song. It's a it's a phenomenal song, but it it's you know, it, it doesn't have that kind of dark sort of black comedy undercurrent that Steven so often goes for and, in his stuff. And with Steven too, like he'll take you down this road and you think you're going one place and then you get to the bridge and he just rips it open and shows you exactly what he's talking about and then covers it up again and goes along the way he was before. And it's just like, he gives you these glimpses that are so right. interesting. Plus his vocals just, I, I, in, you know, all respect to the rest of the band that's still doing it. But for me, there's a huge hole without Steven. Yeah. Yeah, it feels very different. We were just discussing last week, Andy, actually uh, blacking out. And I think Michelle and I were talking about like how it feels there's a difference to that song versus all the other ones on that album. And as well as like post-Steven BNL, there's a difference with that song. And mm-hmm. I think that goes back to once again, that's a kind of almost a, it's a, it's as close to, as I think they come to a, approaching the Stephen caustic dark comedy kind of feel. And maybe that's kind of what we were also noticing with that song. That's different with blacking out versus most of their other songs is that's about as close as they get to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there, it's definitely missing with that. Cause that's just not Ed's style. Yeah. By the way, the Ed song that I was referring to earlier, uh, When I Fall from Born on a Pirate That's Ship. what it is. I had, I had to look it up while we were talking. Yes. It was going to drive me crazy otherwise. You're right. But... I was thinking of a different song, but I know what you're talking about now. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking of Am I the Only One. Oh, right, which is another great Ed <laughs> yes. song. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's it's uh, you're right about, you know, I mean, there's so many of Steven's songs. And, and Michelle, what you said about his songs often kind of taking an unexpected twist, I think is right on too. like call and answer. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and even this song, or you know, break- it kind of starts out. The, the first verse of Blame It On Me is pretty silly. And so you don't necessarily pick up, even though the music has a little bit of a dark undercurrent, it kind of initially you think, oh, this is just going to be like a sort of snarky, like, mm. you know, silly relationship song. And then it, it, sort of as the song progresses you're like no there's like there's a little more going on here which is interesting because you say that because this is now that you say that this is the follow-up from new kid on the block which Mm -hmm. is a very once again a very dark but funny look at that instant fame boy group kind of thing but it's in a much uh, very upbeat type of tone we come into this one which is darker slower but still has that beat that's a little bit up and a little bit latin type of feel. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's different but still got a little bit of an up upbeat to it and there's some silliness to it right and, then and we... there's that that millie vanilli reference which <laughs> turns out to be a little bit of a red herring like that's not necessarily where the song is going but it yeah it sort of calls back to like some of the other pop culture references mm-hmm. elsewhere on the album and right and then we flow the... from this song right into the flag which we'll get to next year which is a very somber and serious song right Um, like maybe the most serious song on the whole album yeah yeah so it's it's a very interesting spot on this album as well 
I love Steven's wordplay in the song. Well, it's not so much wordplay as he just likes to... He's throwing amazing metaphors in. And he's got some amazing oxymorons in there. How she's in the room, but then you're a thousand miles away. And I, in that one sentence, it's so descriptive of a relationship and the spots where things fall apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know... In that one line, you get that whole feel that you have when you're in the middle of a heated argument. Mm-hmm. You know, where where you could be right in the same room with the other person, but the other person doesn't even understand your point of view in any way, shape, or form. And how he can use those words to describe it so quickly and easily. Yeah, yeah. And absence makes the heart grow fungus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which, I don't, which I don't think he coined, but probably the first time that phrase was ever used in a song. Yeah, and then I wax poetic as you're waxing your legs. Like, that That paints a picture. <laughs> Here he is, you know, and it's from his point of view. So, you know, he thinks right. he's waxing poetic, but really he's been a pain in the ass, I'm sure. Um, and I love Stephen. I, I, um, <laughs> I often, you know, we're toughest on the ones we love the most, I guess, but. He's just so interesting, and I feel like the lyrics that he writes and just his presentation are so interesting. And that's, you know, the songs have this sort of feel that's light and airy, but the lyrics are so, they punch you in the gut, really. And it's just Mm -hmm. such a, that's what always captured me with them, is just that ability to be so opposed. You know, doing two things at once, all in one fell swoop. Right. What a good boy on this album being another mm. great yes. example of, of Steven sort of, you know, putting his heart on his sleeve a little bit more. Big time. You guys will you guys will get to that song in twenty twenty five or so, right? <laughs> oh god. Oh there's so many on this album that we're not gonna get to forever. <laughs> <clears throat> Wrap your arms around me. Maybe maybe that'll uh-huh. be the last. I wonder if that's the last song alphabetically in the whole catalog. There's got to be no, something. No, we after. do have a we do have a Y. We do oh, have at a, least one Y. There's got to be a, yeah, at least one song that starts with U or something. Y O U. Well, I can't think what it would be. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Well, I know you run away is down there. Yeah. Um, which which you know I'll I'll list is probably probably one of my favorite post Steven songs that there is. So. Yeah. He'll be up there. Yeah. Well, but that will be one near the very end. Maybe he'll be back in yeah. the band by then. Yeah. Maybe. We <laughs> I know we 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 officially shifted to talking about the lyrics from the music, but can we just to sort of backtrack like can Definitely. we talk a little bit about, you know, we've sort of said, you know, that we we miss the days when Steven was in the band. Can we talk about Andy Cregan for a minute? Yes. Oh, yes, please. Cuz you know, I mean, he left the band early, and, and obviously they, they sort of, you know, retooled their sound around his absence and were, I think, really successful doing that. But but his contributions on, I think he's only on the first two albums, right? Yeah. Are are so great. And he was just, the just the, the versatility that he brought to the band, I think, really gave them a, a dimension that, you know, that, that's... It's hard to sort of touch those first two albums musically, I think, because of his presence on them. At least that's my that's my feeling. I agree. No, he was definitely the unsung hero of those first yeah. two albums. I think you could make a case that as they progressed from there, you know, their their songwriting 
strengthened and you know the sort of other elements of the band kind of picked up the slack but just in terms of the the musicianship which is always a hard word to say <laughs> and the arrangements um you know some of the songs on gordon and maybe you should drive and just the the, the contributions that andy cregan makes to them are, are just outstanding i think agreed definitely and i think you and, you use the right word versatility you know he could just do anything yeah, you know, he could he could sort of play like Cuban jazz piano, he could scat sing, he could play the marimba, he could play percussion. He, you know, he was just a quadruple quintuple sextuple threat. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he brings like you look if you look on Gordon or on maybe you should drive, but especially on Gordon, like you look at the instrument section, he's the one that has like a million and one things listed after his name because he was always adding in the extra elements. Right. Yeah, he was uh, he was definitely kind of the, the the Swiss Army knife of the band um, in those those early days. Which I guess um, what's his name uh, Kevin Hearn has kind of filled that role now, um, right. which is great. But yeah, there's just there's something something about the sound in those first two albums that that is still is always going to feel pretty special to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll jump to this much later on when we get because I'm going to be doing the historical stuff and some of the facts that that kind of go with the time as we get along this year we'll probably be covering a lot more of their first year and how they kind of coalesce but when Tyler joined the band that was a big change for Andy that was his role being completely rewritten right um and so he became the man of a thousand instruments because of necessity right because he felt like Tyler was the stronger drummer for the band yeah, but it's very which is sad. hard to argue with because Tyler is a phenomenal drummer. He really is. Right. He is so solid. But when it comes down to it, like Andy had to change parts because he left for a little while and then came back and his spot was filled. Yeah. So did you guys ever get to see Bare Naked Ladies in the the days when uh, when I, I can't I think this was the Maybe You Should Drive tour that that Tyler would do a drum solo. No, but uh, it was phenomenal but it was it was he and he would the way he did it was uh he would get on the microphone and he would say my drum solo by tyler stewart age six. Oh my god and then he would proceed as a child to narrate his own drum solo oh my god. and it was like that basically been... like a five minute drum solo that was like a parody of every horrible drum solo you've ever had to sit through and it was so funny and so fantastic oh that sounds so, amazing yeah I, I I don't know when they at some point I'm sure they stopped doing that, but it was, <laughs> I was pretty glad I got to see it. Oh, that sounds. I wish they would come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> it stuck with me for sure. So, do you guys have anything more that you would like to add about this song, or have we kind of beat this thing to death? I think I'm good. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a great song, but it's I wouldn't necessarily like you know it wouldn't be on my like personal compilation of bare naked ladies greatest hits Agreed. so mm-hmm. i don't i don't know that there's necessarily any more layers of this particular onion that need peeling back um, <laughs> I, think I think we've done a pretty good job so at this point what we usually do is we flip over to ratings and michelle gives us a rating scale that we go on and this week we are going to oh we rate from a scale of one to five and you can use decimal points if you want to one is okay. the lower or, than, or zero none of us have gone lower than one yet i gave but. i gave one song a one but uh, you could do a zero wow. if you felt like it well i just i wasn't having it <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to revisit that but it was um 
Another, what was it? Another postcard? I, another postcard. It just sounded exactly like um, the other one that it sounds. Uh, the other one. Uh, the, what's the one week? Is it one week? One week. Yeah, and it just, I don't know, maybe I was in a mood when we were rating it, but it just sent me over the edge. I'm like, I, I can't abide by this. This is ridiculous. This is factory pressed and just thrown out as a single but anyway they definitely went through a little bit of a like and here's a song with ed rapping on it yes yes i just i couldn't it was just too much um so that so anyways anyway back on (laughs) so we rate from one to five one being the lowest five being the highest and we always give it a rating system. So we're going to um, blame it on me. We're judging how many Milli Vanillis are we going to give this song. <laughs> and <laughs> it's always something to do with the song. And I will start to kind of give you an idea. I gave this song a 3.65. It's decent. You know, it's in the middle. Like you said, Andy, it's not going to be on my bnl personal favorites that i have to take with me everywhere i go i'll listen to it i enjoy it um it's decent it's good so i give it a 3.65 tracy would you like to go and we'll we'll let our guest give the final score would that be okay i'm gonna sound like a broken record and and return to the my rating from last week i'm gonna give this a Mm 3.75 i i enjoy this song i will listen to it every time it comes on I don't really tend to seek it out much, but to me, this really defines the band's sound. That first whole album, to me, defines the band's sound. And this is one of those songs that if people ask me what's on the first album, I immediately will remember. You know, when we when people think of the Seven Dwarves, there's one they always forget. This is not one of my one of my ones that I always forget when I asked what's on this album. So 3.75. Perfect. Andy, how many Milli Vanillis do you give this song? Uh I uh, I would have to give it uh, three and a half milli vanillis. So I'm 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 pretty much right there with you guys. Yep. I, I think it's I think it is a very solid bare naked lady song. I, I'm not sure there's any song on Gordon that I would give less than three and a half to. Maybe the flag. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's a it's a very good early bare naked lady song. But there's quite a few that uh, would have to rank higher than it. If I was doing one of those, like, every Bare Naked Lady song ranked lists that are all the rage these days, which, thank God, I'm not, because, <laughs> as I'm sure I don't have to tell you guys, that would be a pretty mammoth undertaking at this point. Not quite yes. as mammoth as what you're doing, but <laughs> right up there. It's pretty mammoth, yeah. As we- I, I would say that would... That would probably be tougher than what we're doing. I would have a hard time, like, deciding, like, okay, I like this one slightly better than this one and slightly lower than this one. Yeah. Yeah, having having done a few of those lists myself, I mean, maybe this is just me and maybe I'm, like, peeling back the curtain behind music journalism a little too far. But uh, <laughs> honestly, when those rank lists, at a, at a certain point, you you just have to stop agonizing and just make a decision. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, and, and, and to some degree, you're sort of stirring the pot. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it, it, when, when you're splitting hairs that much, especially with a catalog as big as a band like Bare Naked Ladies. I mean, I read, you know, somebody did one where they ranked every single Billy Joel song. Oh, my Lord. And it was like, oh. and it was like 190 <laughs> songs or something like that. And, you know, like, really is, you know, like, 
Vienna is, you know, 105 and the ballad of Billy the Kid is 104. Like, you're just splitting hairs at a certain point. You know, it, it, it's it's totally subjective and somewhat oh. arbitrary. Um, you know, well, it's really when we start decided... getting towards the very bottom of the list and the very top of the list you can argue over. And then there's sort of the great, there's the big middle where uh, where it's just sort of like, these are all the songs that are kind of just okay. You know, and most bands' catalogs, the, the majority of their catalog kind of falls somewhere in that, that middle where um, you're just splitting hairs at a certain point. To peel back the onion a little bit, when I first started doing this podcast, when I first had the idea for this podcast, I wrote out to Rolling Stone and to, to Billboard. I'm like, you know, you have these top 100s or these top lists of, of you know, in order of, of songs for all these different artists you don't have any for bare naked ladies and they have like 270 songs how can this be never heard back from them i think this kind of explains why because who wants to sit there and make that list <laughs> well i think it probably goes back to the the thesis of my my article uh you know i think probably a lot of the folks at places like rolling stone don't deem the bare naked ladies worthy of one of those lists they're wrong but I suspect, <laughs> I suspect that that if you ask the editors of Rolling Stone, they would not consider Bare Naked Ladies to be uh, to be worthy. Right? They're I don't know that they're ever going to be on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ballot for for similar reasons. But uh, even though they probably should be, maybe I need to find a a com- company that is specifically just Canada that writes their own Ooh, articles up there. There, you go. there are. What's that Canada music website? Exclaim. You could write to Exclaim. Oh. And ask them if they're still around. I think they are. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you know, they got to see the value in them. They just gave them a Juno. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're still they're still huge in Canada. So, I mean, they're still huge here, really, regardless yeah. of whether they're quote unquote critically acclaimed or not. Right. No. I just went to a concert last last week and. Literally was sold out. So where was it? Where'd you see them? Boston. Uh, what venue? It, well, it's now it's called the Blue Hill Bank Pavilion. It used to go by another name. It, they said. Is it um, down on the waterfront? It's down on the waterfront. Right that is on the, the last place I ever saw Bare Naked Ladies. Actually, I lived. Oh, really? I lived in Boston right up until 1999, and I saw Bare Naked Ladies. I'm pretty sure it would have been at that same venue in. I think this would have been 98. It was right around when Stunt came out. Oh, nice. And, uh, and, and honestly, like the only other times I'd seen them was that one show in Boulder. I feel like there was another time I'm not thinking of. And then I saw them do like, just like an unplugged, like in store performance at like record store in Western Massachusetts somewhere or something. Um, but the, the, the show I saw in 98 when, you know, cause it was right around the time that one week, was a huge hit mm-hmm. and so it was actually as like a longtime bare naked ladies fan it was very disillusioning because it was the first time i'd gone to see them where it was an audience of people who were mostly like only knew one or two songs oh. and so i was just surrounded by people who were just waiting for them to play one week and kind of talking through everything else and i oh. was like how dare you <laughs> what a travesty i would have been living you don't deserve to be here to- yeah, I should go see them again now that they're out of that phase because I'm sure it's gone back to just being like the diehard fans again, and it's probably good fun. But but yeah, oh, it was. It was, it was I caught them at a weird moment where they had sort of become like an, an you know they were 
they were like a one hit wonder. And I didn't know that these people existed at the time who go to a concert just to hear the one hit. But apparently there are people who go to a concert just to hear the one hit. <laughs> and they were all at that Bare Naked Ladies show in 98. Uh, well, I have to say, like, I, so they were seeing when I went this week, <clears throat> they were singing a lot of a lot of hits that Stephen originally headlined uh, was the lead on. And I want to—I don't remember which one it was specifically off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I was—I was curious how. So was it, it was either Jane or or Enid. I think it was Enid. Um, wow. And yeah, it and was so Enid, Ed, so, but they did so it differently. Ed does the vocals on those now, or Ed? Ed was doing the vocals. Okay. But what was really interesting, and it was almost—I will never say it's better than than Steve. It's not even on par. But it was it was really beautiful to hear was the audience sang with Ed. And so it was a very different song because it was the audience singing the whole entire song with Ed. Oh, that's um, fun. In an acoustical environment. So whenever like the big ones that, that Steve would sing came up, the audience pretty much joined in and sang the song. The audience took Steven's part over. That's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. It was... It was magical in its own different way. Um, I would never turn it down and say, Steve, don't come back. We want this. Obviously, I would want Steve back singing those. But this is a nice replacement for that, was hearing like the all these people in the audience taking that part. Yeah. So, That's nice. You guys are, I mean, I, I, I dare say you guys are the bigger hardcore BNL fans than I am. So I, I, I want to ask you this question. Do you think there's ever a chance that Steven will rejoin the band? Do you Ooh. think there will ever be enough money on the table, or, or will they ever be able to mend fences, or is there like too much bad blood there, do you think? After seeing them at the Juno Awards this year, I don't know if you caught any of that. Um, I didn't. It felt like closure. You know, I watched those Junos praying to God that Ed and Steven's eyes would meet across a crowded room, and the magic would happen, and it would just be like, okay, we're over all the bad blood, let's get back together, let's do this, and it didn't feel like that i which i am the last person who would say it didn't feel like that and i don't think it's going to happen but i don't i still hold out hope but i i think the magic happened but i think it was closure like i got the yes. feeling that when the magic happened at the concert it yeah. was closure um which is sad to say because i would love to see them on stage again and i honestly you you had mentioned steven coming back to the band um anything i've read in the last couple of months since the juno's um, including from either side of the band, um, and hopefully I'm not cutting off the band from ever coming on the show by saying this. This is just my interpretation based off reading and watching all the different interviews post-Junos and pre-Junos. I don't think that at this point it's even a Steven choice. I think if Steven were asked to come back, he would come back and do a concert or a tour and, and have fun doing mm -hmm. it. I don't know if he'd ever do an album with him. He may. I get the feeling like mm -hmm. it's no, at this point... Steven has opened the door and said, it's not in my hands in a very polite and Canadian way. Right. And has not been invited, as far as we know, back by the band. It's I, I get yeah. the feeling that it's the band at this point that's not made that step. either. I, and it doesn't seem to be out of avarice or anything like this at this point. It just seems like they've each grown in different directions. And right. Steve would come back in the with with arms open if they offered but it doesn't sound like they're offering yeah that makes sense i mean you know i, I would never you know as, as 
as much as there's a long list of bands I would love to see reunite, I've also interviewed enough musicians, including musicians who have, you know, left once famous bands to the point where I just, I never really begrudge anyone anymore, like their personal choices when it comes down to that stuff. Like if you, whatever your reasons are, creative, personal, for, you know, not wanting to sort of, you know, cash that reunion check, <laughs> um, that is your prerogative. You yes. don't owe the fans anything. Exactly. I, I just, I don't subscribe to that argument. Um, I know a lot of people make it, but I think, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's up to the, the musicians themselves to decide whether they want to do the reunion or not. Well, and it's like it, one of the, the, one of the metaphors that they used, I think is a perfect metaphor. It's like a family because they are that much together and when a family breaks right. up, if if the neighbors and stuff are are like, you guys should just get back together. You were so beautiful together. It's not going to make them get back together for that reason. <laughs> so, and that's what the fans are. You need to, you need to learn to love him. You need to learn to love him. Right. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just you learn to love him. Right. Yeah. And it yeah. was such a um. It and it was. Re- I don't want to say buzzkill, but it kind of was a buzzkill to watch the Juno Awards and really, really get that feeling like, wow, this is really them being done. This is them finished. Like, this is, the doors are now closed. Everybody's good. They've done whatever they need to do, but now it's really over. And it was... It was their final concert. I have to go find and watch a video of it. I I missed it. I think you'll, yeah, if you go to... um, Juno.ca, I think. Um, they'll probably have videos on there. It's probably on YouTube by now, but it was just... Yeah. Oh, we were all watching and texting oh, each yeah. other and like, oh my God, are it's you all watching this? And I was bitching about the cameraman's <laughs> sure. work. Like, why are you showing the audience? I want you to be showing Stephen and Ed right now. Who's directing this crap? <laughs> I was livid. Oh. Um, yeah. Like, I don't care about the lady in the front row dancing to uh, If I Had a Million Dollars. Put the camera on Steven and Ed and let me watch this. Right. Let me let me see what's happening. Right. So, given the length of this week's recording, I'm going to sure. skip the appearance facts section. I'll come back to it next week. You know, I'll just kind of like, instead of, I'm just going to throw it away next week, this week, and let it come back to me next week. Sort of like a boomerang. But um bum. <laughs> Sorry, have we have we been rambling too much? And we're I'm like cutting no. off your portions of your show. This is nope. I think I I, I picked a, a the episode <laughs> I listened to was Be My Yoko Ono, which was a super long one. We, so I probably picked the wrong one to listen to together. No, to we go on sometimes. Like we we, we each have a week where we'll just go off on a topic and have our thirty minute rant about X, Y, or Z. So. This, is, this was good. Yeah. This was great. It was great to get your input. And it's always nice to talk to a fan from way back. You know what I mean? Like, you're in my era, so it's just, it's nice to have that. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's... it's you're, the, you're the real deal, so that's nice. And it, thank you. And it's nice for me to talk to, you know, sort of longtime yes. BNL fans, because I, I don't know very many of them, honestly. You know, it's, it's, it's what happens is you... Unfortunately, you get older and you, you know, you move around and, you know, a lot of my, my friends from back in the day who were also into the band, I've like lost touch with, they live, they live in other cities. Yeah. And so, you know, it's probably 
part of the reason why I haven't kept as close tabs on them is, you know, I just, I don't have that sort of mutual fan base that I used to have. So exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the great things about, so this is, so this has been Yeah, fun. no, it's great having you on there. Thank you very much for, for joining us and feel yeah. free to come back anytime. You've been a great guest. Yes. Thanks. Maybe by the time you guys get to like the J's or something, I'll be, uh... <laughs> I was going to say, pick, pick a song that that's uh, like a year and a half away and that I'll... you enjoy and, let me know, and you're more than welcome to join us anytime. All right. Absolutely. How about intermittently? That's a That's good one. That's so good. How long is it going to take you to get to the eyes? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> See, that's one of St- the Stephen Confessional songs that I'm so fond of. Like, that's yes. yep. so good on every level. <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar to the song, too, in a lot exactly. of ways. Exactly. Yeah, actually, maybe I should, yeah, I'll, I'll, come up, I'll come up with a different one so we're not... <laughs> So I'm not okay. <laughs> like the resident guy who comes on to talk about Stephen Page's relationship issues. That's my time. job. That's what I talk about. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Where can people find more of your stuff? You can go to my website, which is uh, Andy Herman uh, with two N's, uh, just to keep people on their toes. AndyHerman.me. AndyHerman.me. Ooh, nice. I will create a link to that on our uh, page. Awesome. Oh, and I should also, I always forget to do this, but I should give a shout out to my uh, my blog. I do um, a blog about weird music Ooh. called Weirdest Band in the World. Oh. Which I think probably some listeners to your podcast, and in some circles, Bare Naked Ladies <laughs> might be considered a little bit weird. So uh, people should check that out they might find some stuff on there that they would enjoy excellent definitely where would we find that uh weirdestbandintheworld.com all right i'll put that one up it too. is my never-ending quest to find and crown the world's weirdest band interesting wow every every week we have a new weird band and then uh there's they all go on to a, a running list of weird bands and uh yeah it's uh it's just it's a travel around it's a it's a travel around the world, if you will, by way of bizarre, strange, esoteric, avant-garde, and just downright silly music. <laughs> I'm really... Aaron is going to be kicking himself this week to realize he missed this. <laughs> he loves to listen to all this really <laughs> well, weird I stuff. To, I have to come back on then so I can talk to Aaron. So. <laughs> yes, you'll have to. All right. Cool. Well, thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And thanks. That was fun. Thanks, that was fun Don't forget No regrets Except maybe one Welcome to the Bare Naked ABCs Where we argue about the Bare Naked Try that again Fix it in post That's right Welcome to the Bare Naked ABCs, where we argue about the Bare Naked Ladies songs. I cannot say Bare Naked Ladies tonight. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 